Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. The point that we're making is that the invasion by Russia into Ukraine marks the end of one era and the beginning of a new era in global politics. We played a couple times, and we've played it again for tomorrow morning's show, the comments by Larry Fink, who is the CEO of BlackRock, a major, huge, $11 trillion-plus private equity firm, and his comments that were made on Fox News on, I think, March 9th, Uh, a couple of weeks after the invasion, where Fink also says this is the end of one stage of globalization. So we want to, it's one thing for the left to talk about it. It's another thing to hear principal spokespersons for the capitalist class, and Larry Fink is certainly one of them. I think people all around the world are trying to sort of make out what this new period is. But to do that, we have to also talk about what's the era that we're leaving, what's the era that's ending or did end with the Russian invasion. Before I do that, I do want to mention, though, that Elon Musk and Twitter have come to an agreement that Musk, who is either the richest man in the world or one of the top three, is now going to be the owner of Twitter. And, you know, it's a perfect description of what Lenin talked about when he talked about the free press. The first day of the Russian Revolution, Lenin made a speech about the free press because he made the point that it's really freedom for the bourgeoisie to own the opinion molding instruments in society and that the purpose of the free press is to keep people unfree, to keep workers oppressed as workers or peasants oppressed as people working the land. And he makes the point that you have to look at the free press from a point of view of class politics. And so I just want to mention it because it's a very important, very important issue, I think, and something that we're going to come back to. Let's talk about the new era of global politics. So the era that we're arguing is coming to an end is the era that began with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the surprising overthrow of the Soviet Union and the socialist camp. It wasn't surprising by the time it happened, but certainly if you had asked people in 1981, if you anticipated that the Soviet Union would be gone by 1991, people would say, no, that would be impossible. But in fact, that's exactly what happened. And not only was the Soviet Union gone, but all of the socialist countries in Eastern and Central Europe also were gone. And that began the period of what we called unipolar power. And it was the unipolar power of the United States, which determined and it was expressed in the white paper presented by, well, really written by Paul Wolfowitz and the other figures who made up or eventually made up the uh, project for a new American century, that the United States would brook no opposition, no rival would be allowed to emerge as a contestant for either regional or global power. And the United States at that time also began a campaign to essentially end or eviscerate, extinguish, defeat, destroy the governments that 
owed their existence to the anti-colonial revolutions after World War II that had been allied with the socialist camp. So you begin the process of the destruction of Iraq, and then the plan was to take out Syria, to take out Libya, of course, to destroy Hezbollah and resistance forces in Lebanon. And then ultimately the big prize was going to be Iran. And that was the way the US looked at the world. We are the dominant power because there is no other major country, large scale, big country, that either had the capacity, the will, the desire to actually challenge us. And we weren't going to allow any to emerge. And we have the ability to destroy the second tier powers, the regional powers who owed their existence to the ability to trade and do business with the socialist camp. Cuba was also on the hit list there. There was the special period in Cuba, the sanctions, the embargo, the blockade of Cuba was very profoundly tightened. And of course, the Cuban people being cut off from energy and not being able to trade, they had their economy of an island nation contract by 40% in the course of a few months, a precipitous decline that is unheard of except during wartime. And of course, it was in a way a war. And during this entire period, or at least up until we would say about 2013, the United States also had Russia and China basically operating as supplicants to the United States, even though they were major powers, China and Russia basically followed a foreign policy of appeasement towards the United States. They didn't support the war in Iraq, but they didn't do anything to really stop it. When it came to Libya and earlier to Yugoslavia in 1999, they weren't for it, but they didn't do anything or couldn't do anything to stop it. In, in the case of Libya, when the United States tried to stop the Arab revolution from toppling more US monarchs or military dictators and rechanneled the Arab Spring into being essentially a, a counter-revolutionary campaign against independent or anti-colonial governments like the government in Libya or in Syria, the effect was of this appeasement policy was the Russians and the Chinese at the Security Council where they could exercise a veto they didn't exercise a veto. They abstained and allowed the UN Security Council to pass Resolution 1973, a resolution that authorized the use of force in the name of protecting civilians in Libya. And of course, then the US used that resolution as UN legal authorization to carry out what was otherwise a completely illegal war and destroyed, literally destroyed one of the more, most progressive governments in Africa, the government in Africa that had the highest standing of living, the government in Africa that actually was the funder, the financier of the Organization of African Unity, and the country in Africa that had the largest reserves of oil in the entire continent. It wasn't the largest producer of oil, but it was the largest and the largest oil reserves. And Russia and China appeased the United States. In each and every instance, it was clear that the Chinese leadership, the Russian leadership, they didn't want to go into a confrontational mode with the United States. But you could see when Barack Obama announced the pivot to Asia in 2011, in that same year as they went to war against Libya, that 
at least in the case of Obama, Obama's geostrategic calculations, and I think this was true also of his Secretary of Defense, Gates, was that the endless wars in South Asia, Afghanistan, Iraq, et cetera, et cetera, were bogging the U.S. down. Certainly the U.S. couldn't win in either Afghanistan or Iraq. And China was ascending as this dominant or potentially dominant economic power in the Pacific, the region that was the most dynamic place for economic growth in the world. And so Obama tried to put together the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. He said, if we don't write the rules of the roads, somebody else will, meaning China. The pivot to Asia also had a very severe military component. The plan was to have by 2020, 60% of all of US Naval and Air Force assets in the Pacific. And of course, China would understand that to be threatening. Like what was China doing? It was appeasing the US. It wasn't trying to directly challenge US hegemony, basically going along with the US everywhere but in the neighborhood of China. But the big turning point becomes 2013, because in 2013, the Russians intervene in Syria. They make it clear that the Russian government will not tolerate the US doing to Syria what it did to Libya. And Syria, as we've said on the show, a very, very important first Soviet ally and then Russian ally, the most important ally of Russia in the Middle East. Russians came in and said, look, we consider the sovereign government of Syria, which had invited the Russians to come in, to be absolutely essential to keeping the country intact. And they are going to be part of the solution to whatever the conflict is. And so when they intervened and they came in with the Russian Air Force, it was decisive. I mean, it wasn't the only element. There was the Syrian Arab army, of course, that fought heroically against these terrorists and extremists. There were the militias supported by Iran. There was Hezbollah, the resistance forces from Lebanon, which shares this big border with Syria. I mean, all these combined forces made a difference, but Russia was a very decisive intervention. And, you know, we almost had a major full-scale U.S. war against Syria, a major war that was narrowly thwarted in September 2013 because popular opinion was running so strongly against the war. And Russia intervened, the tables started to turn. And a couple months later, that's when the Maidan protests start in Kiev. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 